house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Maxwell, better be good. Well, there's been a bombing in the Middle East. What? I didn't think we could make the war in Afghanistan any less popular, but hey, even I can be wrong. We need a good news story from the Middle East, a big one. Get on with it. New girl band, Middle East talk. Oh, maybe. No, maybe not. Project to introduce salmon fishing to the Yemen. Oh, happy birthday, Patricia. This has just become a priority project. Uh, this thing is a bloody joke. Yeah, this man is salmon. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast you'd ever let tax your Nutella so extravagantly. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm okay. I'm very peaceful. Um, fishing. <laughs> Uh, right now, I'm I'm told that that oh, is a very relaxing activity. To speaking do to us from a Scottish who... stream in uh, the Highlands, yes, are you? E- exactly. That's what I do on my spare time. That's how I spend yeah. my weekends. I'm told by people who like to be outside that fishing is very relaxing and peaceful. I have thus far spent my weekend on Twitter uh, exposing just how little I understand about Disney Plus because I've been asking eight bajillion questions during all of these D23 presentations, where I literally yesterday was just like, A, what's the Mandalorian? And B, what do you get on Disney Plus? First of all, I will say the Mandalorian is the only thing selling me on any of their content so far. Everything else just feels like... Okay, you hear so much about Disney and all of their, like, uh, the Marvel side of things and how they, like, meticulously craft things so that it can be huge and appeal to as wide an audience as everything as possible. And everything, other than The Mandalorian, seems like they're just taking this cynical approach of, like, just have content. See, I I see it differently from the Marvel end. I my thing with the Marvel stuff is they've created this cinematic universe where everything is big tent, big event, whatever. And then they're like, for our TV, we're just gonna like make it weird as fuck because like you don't have to leave your house for it. There's less of a barrier to to sampling. So we're gonna turn WandaVision into this like half superhero thing and half like. 60s sitcom thing? Did you read that whole uh, description of what that's going to be? Yes, and I imagine that the Marvel content on Disney Plus is going to be much more, um, like, handcrafted, for lack of a better word, and more, like, meticulously, like, cared to. But I'm thinking of, like... Noel, this Christmas movie. Oh, that, that Anna Kendrick like movie. The wettest garbage. Well, it looks like a live action like, adaptation of The Year Without a Santa Claus, which is great. But, yeah, but like it just feels like yeah. I don't know. It feels like a dumping ground to me. And like, will I probably watch something like Noel if I have Disney Plus? Sure. Yeah. But like the Lady and the Tramp movie. Oh, well, yes. But that Lady and the Tramp movie, I feel like, is part of a different trend that's like 
separate from all of that, which is the, you know, the live, quote-unquote, live-action remake. It's at least not CGI dogs, though maybe that makes it more insane. They still aren't, like, but it's like fun, the babe cute, approach, expressive right? cartoons. Like, I don't know. I don't care whether that everything looks bad. Disney Plus looks, over. everything looks bad. I don't know if everything looks bad. I will say, I, I, I'm see, I'm not into the Mandalorian, but maybe it's the, because it's like so decidedly dusty and western, and like I could give a fuck about all of those bounty hunters. I know he's not actually Boba Fett. I got con- corrected on that one last night. Right, right, like, right. Whatever, but like they're all boring. We all saw Attack of the Clones. Nobody liked that part of the movie. Like it's, I don't know. Also, the degree of disdain I attained yesterday watching all the millennials in my timeline fall out over the Lizzie McGuire uh, no, reboot. No, absolutely. I'm not. just like, what is your? I've already spent the <laughs> the last couple days. Being like, I can't believe you all like this Taylor Swift album. And now, I'm just like, and now you're freaking out over Hillary Duff? Go all the okay, way. Okay, but here's the thing. A, w- yes, we are probably too old for Lizzie McGuire. Like, Lizzie McGuire happened oh, when sure. we would have been too old to catch into it. But, like, even with what I have experienced with Lizzie McGuire, who wants to see adult Lizzie McGuire? Right. Ew. Agreed. Agreed. Sorry, Agreed. guys. So, you know, sorry. We have lost our entire gay audience. Oh, please. We've lost the children. The children will come back. You know how um, we'll bring them back. You know how love will lead you back. Salmon fishing in the Yemen? Yeah, salmon that'll bring fishing them. in the Yemen. That'll I was bring them all Emily swimming Blunt, upstream back into our boat. There is, like, I kind of understand why people like this movie. Because it's, like, pleasant, pretty. We will never not be here for Emily Blunt. And Kristen Scott Thomas, especially like evil Kristen Scott Thomas. I do enjoy Kristen Scott Thomas in this movie. I wish she was in a different movie that supported her tone better. I think she really kind of sticks out in this movie kind of strangely. She plays the, well, we'll get to the 60 second plot description in a second, but she plays the media director, the whatever, um, what's the CJ Craig job? Basically, the media liaison for the prime minister. The prime minister of Britain, and she wants to get, you know, a good media opportunity. So, of course, like, she's a media director, so she's obviously superficial and has no actual values. Everything is just about optics and, you know... You know, classic politician, political mover and shaker, and evil she's, cynicism. She's also like very up, very like big, and she's playing everything very sort of aggressively, but not like she's not a dragon lady. But she's just like she'll cut you down, but she's you know fun about it. And her tone is so 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 different from this kind of sweet if somber. Um, you know, burgeoning romance between Ewan McGregor and Emily Blunt's characters who are likable, but very v- mildly to very muted, I would say. Yeah, right? they're, they're kind of, if it wasn't for Ewan McGregor's character having Osbergers, they would kind of be nondescript on the page. Like, there, there's not much... I don't want to say depth. Like, I guess if there's any depth to these characters, they're brought to it by the actors. But, like, it's yeah. kind of hard to describe who these people are beyond their, like, profession. 
And even his presentation of Asperger's is very not showy, very minor key. I'm not I'm not saying I would want anything, you know, gaudy out of him on that level. Or showy. Like right. you wouldn't you but don't I, want that to be offensive. And but I it don't does con- think it, it is. It contributes to the whole. It contributes to this greater sense of this movie just being like on a very even keel in a way that doesn't draw me in. <laughs> Let's say I think the the thing about salmon fishing in the Yemen that we can dance around for a while and I think we should probably just get to the point is the only reason why we would do a movie like salmon fishing in the Yemen is because a the title is so weird. You know what I mean? Like it just this is a movie that that exists on its title. It's based on a novel. And I'm sure the novel did the same thing of just like you see that title and you're like, excuse me, what? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? What do you mean the Mad Yemen? Libs. Isn't it just Mad Yemen? Libs, and yeah, yes, exactly. It's a Mad Libs of a title. And then when this movie with a Mad Libs of a title emerged from the actual wilderness to get three Golden Globe nominations in 2012, all of a sudden this people thought weirdo, it was a thing. Well, this weird movie title, it was like, well, it was a ready-made sort of, you know, joke and a meme of just, like, I remember for the la- for the next, like, few days, all, every punchline was just salmon fishing in the Yemen, and it's, like, endured for a while. You know how, like, half of every Oscar joke for that one year was With alone yet fishing. not alone? Yes. Well, no, but, like, remember that? Where it's just, like, everything was just, like, all roads led to alone yet not alone? Salmon Half fishing of all of my Oscar jokes to this day are yeah. alone yet not alone. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and now the other half will be salmon fishing in the Yemen. And that, right, exactly. So I think that's a big part of the reason why this movie is even memorable, even though it does have big movie stars like Emily Blunt and Ewan McGregor, and even though it's directed by Lasse Hallstrom, who is a director who is a, has a very specific character when it comes to Oscar buzz, you know, the kinds of Oscar buzz that we track, right? Which is sometimes successful, sometimes not, but always in this very awards baity subgenre, right? Yeah. Okay, but I think the thing that made some people take this movie more seriously in the Oscar race this year, on top of those like surprise Golden Globe nominations, was the fact that Lassa Hallstrom's name was attached in that. If you have a certain prestige movie, I think Lassa Hallstrom's name like sends a shudder of dread through people's spine that it's like, it oh God, this could actually be an Oscar thing. Probably because the lingering like animosity towards Chocolat. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Chocolat, another movie where every joke that year wound its way around to the word Chocolat. Yes. Yeah. He truly does attach himself to just those kinds of projects. And honestly, if you think we've... Because we've already talked about um, An Unfinished Life, which was the Robert Redford, Jennifer Lopez movie about whatever, the farm and such. Uh, Resentment. uh, Bear attacks. Bears. Bears. Um, and now this is our second Lassa Hallstrom movie that we've done on this There podcast. will be more. I was going to say, we are not remotely finished. <laughs> There's lots ahead. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're However, not exhausted Lassa Hallstrom. So if we don't talk about... Lassa Hallstrom specifically a lot in this episode. There's a lot of other stuff we can get into. 
don't fret. Don't feel like we've shortchanged. Don't feel like we're anti-Swedish or have some sort of like grudge against Lena Olin. Far from that. Uh, we just have we'll have a lot more occasions to talk about Lassa. Listen, we're only two ahead. realms into the Lassa Hallstrom <laughs> four realms. Right, right. We have barely scratched the surface of all the realms of of Lassa. So yes, including the realm which we obviously has not had Oscar buzz. Do you know? Do you remember that he did one of those narrated by dogs movies? Yeah, a dog's purpose, a dog's journey, a dog's, a dog's whatever, a dog's right. tax evasion, something. <laughs> That oh. <laughs> have we talked on this podcast a about my nemesis yeah. being movies narrated by dogs? There's oh, been well, like then you are you have been born into the wrong era because we are the only kinds of things that are not superhero Listen. movies or cartoons or remakes of cartoons. Right. The only thing besides those things it's movies narrated by dogs. Chris, Joseph. Would you like to do a 60-second plot description of Salmon Fishing in the Yemen? I would not, but it is my lot in life, and I accept my fate. All right. I need to pull out my trusty timer. Hopefully, the delivery guy doesn't stop by my door in this minute. One minute. Zero seconds. All right. Christopher File. The plot of the incredibly dense and Byzantine salmon fishing in the Yemen. Are you ready to lay it all out for us in 60 seconds? I am. All right, your time starts now. All right, the movie centers around Ewan McGregor. He he invented, his name's Alfred Jones. He invented some, like, fishing fly thing that made him famous, but he's also an expert of fish. He gets recruited by Emily Blunt's uh, Harriet, a million last names character, to bring salmon to the uh, the Yemenis sheik who wants to um, bring essentially uh, like water and growth and farming um, to his people, uh, thirty seconds. But he says that it is absolutely impossible. However, that gets into like basically this bidding war because of Kristen Scott Thomas's press secretary to the British Prime Minister. They are trying to look for like a positive news story between British relations and the Middle East. So like they force him into essentially. Um, going over there to make this impossible project work. Meanwhile, um, Harriet and Alfred fall in love, sort of, while she has um, uh, uh, her, like, brand new boyfriend is over is missing in action in Afghanistan. Sorry, uh, I forgot to give you the 10-second uh, warning. That's okay. Like, it's I'll give you five seconds to wrap it up. Um, uh, anyway, like, the Kristen Scott Thomas brings him back under auspices, and, like, that kind of throws their relationship, burgeoning relationship into like turmoil yeah and then the dam is blown up by somebody beep 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 beep. okay beep Um, beep 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 beep. (laughs) so much of this movie is actually the setup of what the plot is yes and not like watching it unfold because you have this like non this like they go on like two dates relationship with emily blunt and her soldier sort of boyfriend Right. And, like, she's really tied up in that. When he goes missing in action, she, like, falls off the grid and well, that's the brings thing is, back. So she's this kind of um, capable, kind of sparkling character, right? She has a yeah. lot of personality. She has a lot of sort of energy to her. She's, she's going to be the one, 
you know, hauling this engine of chemistry between her and McGregor, because McGregor is obviously playing a character who is very not emotional and not expressive, right? So, yeah. like, that's her. She's going to be, you know, doing the heavy lifting. And we all appreciate that because it's Emily Blunt. And if anyone's going to do the job of charismatic heavy lifting, you know, she's fully capable of it. And then they get to the point in the story where her boyfriend, hers, who's uh, serving in the Middle East, goes missing. Her, her boyfriend, by the way, played by um, the Sleepy Hollow guy, the guy who played the main character yes. in the Fox TV show Sleepy Hollow, who's very handsome, but like doesn't really offer much else in the way of a character. And then when he does come back, she realizes like, oh, you're kind of xenophobic. <laughs> right. But like even before that, when she just once she gets the word that he he's gone missing and her character goes into this kind of shuts herself off and shuts herself in and the movie really grinds to a halt at that point because it's yes. just like what are we I'm not really in this for plot. Like I'm you know, if I wanted to read this sort of odd little story about like, this is the kind of story you would read about in a magazine on a Saturday morning, right? It's just like, oh, yes. like, sweet, they wanted to do a fishing project or whatever. But, like, it's also at that point that the movie becomes a romance, too, because up until that point, which it's is a basically weird starting point for a romance. Exactly. Is like, you're... I was kind of into it until then because I was like, I was very happy to see this relationship between two people who don't necessarily get along, but, like, are working towards a goal, but not necessarily romantically involved. And that's when the romance really starts between Alfred and Harriet. And it's just kind of a bummer, because you don't want it to become that. You want to see a movie where, like, men and a man and a woman make a project work. This is really just a movie about project management. It truly, (laughs) if ever there were a movie just about project management, it's this and Rogue One are the only two movies ever truly made <laughs> where they front-loaded the act of project management. And that's it. And, yeah, but I think a movie like this, much as, you know, the title is a feint towards something else, this is the kind of movie you watch because it's a delivery system for a relationship dramedy, essentially, right? You're right in that it's not so much strictly I a comedy. dramedy is even pushing it. I think the only real comedic elements are Kristen Scott Thomas, and I think that's largely just because it's so enjoyable to watch her be yeah, an asshole. It's a light it's light drama, right? But yeah. you're going into this as a delivery system for Ewan McGregor and Emily Blunt being very attractive movie stars who will develop some type of relationship, would be it professional or personal. And like that's why you're watching it. So all of a sudden, when halfway through the movie, the most charismatic part of that duo like has her light sort of snuffed out for most of the rest of the movie what are we here for i don't care about salmon well okay i mean like i it's weird it's trying to have its like hand in a lot of different things like you know but do you trust this movie to give a uh thoughtful um you know story about how we Western could and Eastern relations. Right. Yes, exactly. No. No. Right. I, I mean, to the point that this movie is not fully cultural tourism, but it's not not, it's not. that. I the don't Sheik think it's is never centered in the story, even when Ewan McGregor saves his life via fishing pole. He right. like does a full cast <laughs> does on a somebody who's trying to assassinate sniper. Him yeah. And hooks him in the face. <laughs> At that point, I was like, yes, this is when the movie becomes insane. I'm yeah. into it. And it's never that crazy again. No. 
And I don't think it's a better movie if it does center the shake, right? But, like, it's... It's a little bit, like, okay, so this is... This movie wants to, like, pat itself on the back for, like, having a little bit of a story that is about, you know, bringing development... Yeah. I'll tell you a Lassa Hallstrom movie that does that kind of thing better. It doesn't involve, like, geopolitics at all, but, like, that kind of culture clash thing is The Hundred Foot Journey. Mm. I think Which the maybe we'll journey, talk about it at some point. Well, we're going to talk about it soon because we're, I'm going to talk about Weird Old Golden Globe nominations, and Helen Mirren sure did get one for oh, that yeah. movie. Um, but I think that's like a perfectly cute, like absolutely tone perfect. It knows what you're there to do, and it gives you what you came to see in that movie. And I don't know. And I in this it movie, it's more like set dressing a little bit, which yeah. perhaps is offensive in its own way, but like the movie's so like milk toast. No, I don't want to say milk toast because like I kind of did enjoy watching this movie. I thought did it you? would be more of a chore than it was. Like yeah. it's a very whelming movie. Like I know you can be overwhelmed. <laughs> I know you can be underwhelmed. Right. But can you ever just be whelmed? I think you can. The answer in the to Yemen. that is salmon fishing in the, in Yemen. the Yemen. Yeah. I wish, I don't understand why they kept sort of introducing these things like the Conleth Hill character as this semi ruthless politician who is, or whatever, like political operator who has to carry out this thing and this, you know project and he's giving Ewan McGregor orders but he's also feeling pressure from Kristen Scott Thomas and I'm just like I and I love that actor he's so he was so good on Game of Thrones for all those years but he plays Varys do you watch Game of Thrones did you watch Game of Thrones yeah yeah he was great he was essentially his character on Game of Thrones was just like gay eunuch who like schemes 25 7 like if there was an extra hour in the day to scheme he would do it and love hearing that i am represented on television even if i don't watch it (laughs) but so his character in this movie really doesn't have a ton of reason for being and he's in it a lot more than i think he probably needs to be absolutely absolutely cut all of that out of the movie all right so i talking about it's interesting we always sort of like to to kick off the Oscar buzz portion of this these discussions by asking why did whatever movie we're talking about have Oscar buzz in the beginning and most of the time it's well you know it's a director who had a lot of pedigree it's an actor it's maybe a, based on a very you know well loved and well known book but all of these movies tend to be on this podcast because months and months and months ahead of when they actually opened, somebody looked at that title and that talent and, you know, maybe what studio it was with and maybe what its release date was and said, aha, you know, that has potential. That could end up being an Oscar nominee. Salmon Fishing in the Yemen is the exception that proves the rule in that it did not have a speck of Oscar buzz until the minute it got three Golden Globe nominations. (laughs) And it's the weirdest goddamn thing in that regard. And it's probably... It's strange in, like, every regard. It got three comedy nominations, despite not being a comedy. But it's the kind of light drama that's never going to get nominated at the Globes in drama. So a lot of times they'll just sort of shunt those They did it as a positioning thing. Yeah. And and I'm sure we'll talk about it. It's a very weak 
comedy year, even, even for the Globes that do sometimes take the risk of nominating a Greta Gerwig for Francis Ha. Well, this is the thing. I, I, I wanted to talk about the Golden Globes in the way that we... I mean, we talked about a little this a little bit when we when we mentioned The Tourist, and anytime we mention a movie that got Golden Globes attention, more like outsize what its reputation holds, right? Where yes. The Tourist got a bunch of Golden Globe nominations, and the big story was like the Globes are crooked, and it's just like, well, yes and no, you know, that's the right. the classic Annette Bening, twentieth century women, you know, yes and no. But the 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 Globes the the three types of Golden Globes curveball nominations, let's say, are I think I I've sort of divided them into three categories. The first is it's a last gasp of old Oscar buzz. Yes. Where it's like somebody has been in the conversation since like April and they're they're Buzz has almost entirely died out. And then here are the Globes who have, like, this is a lot of times what you'll see in the actor and actress in a drama categories, mm-hmm. where they just sort of ran out of Buzzy nominees. And they're just like, well, now who do we fill this out with? We fill it out with Rosamund Pike in A Private War. Or, um, what's another good example in the dramas? Like, there was a few good Jodie Foster in The Brave One is a good example of that, where it's just like, this isn't going to happen, and yet we need another, we need another nominee to kind of fill this category out. Maggie Gyllenhaal and Sherry Baby is another good example of this. Yes, where that was one that's just like uh, there was a while there where it seemed like that could be a nomination that was gettable. That was during the era where we kept dangling possible nominations in front of Maggie Gyllenhaal and then yanking them away, where it was just like, Secretary, no. Sherry Baby, no. I will always remember Meryl Streep shouting out Sherry Baby in her Devil Wears Prada acceptance speech in the annals of great Meryl acceptance speeches that like she really does like that trope of recognizing not only her fellow nominees, but other actresses that year, who that was her prototypical Adepero Odebye, right? Where she like, yes. that was the one that worked. First of all, Congratulations to the nominees in all the categories for Best Actress. There's like a million categories for Best Actress, but Annette and Tony and Beyonce and Renee and Penelope and Judy and Maggie and Helen and Kate. And I just want you to know, all of you, that this has been such a fun year to watch movies because of you gals. And... uh, And uh, makes you want to cry with gratitude until next year. (laughs) And finally, I just want to say the reason you could see The Devil Wears Prada is because it was playing on every uh, theater screen across America. And uh, that was because they were playing it. And if you can't see, you know, Little Children or Pan's Labyrinth or The Queen or... Or uh, all these great movies that I've just seen, Volver, Notes on a Scandal, Sherry Baby, then you have to go down to your theater manager and ask him why. Because um, it's amazing how much you can get if you quietly, clearly, and authoritatively demand it. That's all. Shit, there was one more. Mia Vyoskovska. 
Except she didn't get nominated for Jane Eyre. She was just like good that year. That was no, kind that's of what wild. she was doing. I mean, Adaparaduya wasn't nominated either. Right, right. That's yes. Yeah, that was Meryl going sort of the next level, or like Brendan Gleeson in The Guard. I didn't see The Guard. You didn't see The Guard, but it was like I did see actually the guard. that kind of. Did you see The Guard? Was it good? Yes, I did. I love Brendan Gleeson, so yeah. I stand Brendan Gleeson. Actually. Brendan Gleeson belongs in a different category, so let's stick a pin in him. But, like, Kate Winslet in Labor Day is a good example of that. That's a great example. Where, like, a year ahead, people were like, ooh, Kate Winslet in a Jason Reitman movie. Those are ingredients that have worked in the past. And then the movie it's, came I, out, I, and it was some awful. Some of it, this, though, where it's like, it's dying Oscar buzz, and it gets a jolt because of, or it seemingly gets a jolt because of a Golden Globe nomination. Some of it comes down to, I think, the when they actually vote. So it's like you yeah, could see sense. it as being like probably still even the fifth place vote, but because they're voting as like the tides are turning a little bit, that's, that's why some of these people who are already falling out still make it in. I think also they just get campaigned early in the season when these then when these you know nominations these now dead dead buzz nominations had a little bit more oomph behind them from the studios and from uh, campaigns. Gwyneth right. Paltrow in Proof is another example. She got nominated in 2005 for Proof, well after the early buzz on that performance had died out. So that's the one type of Weirdo Globe nomination. The second type is the ones I like to bring up when people try and slag the Globes, which is the weirdo, cool like, very worthy, cool nominations that the Oscars were never going to do. This is Reese Witherspoon in Election. This is Emma Stone in Easy A. You mentioned Haley Francis, Steinfeld in Edge of, Edge of 17. You mentioned Greta Gerwig and Francis Ha, Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Enough Said. There's just a lot of a lot of really, really... You know, Can you think of any male good. nominees? Because I think, like, we literally just named a bunch of female nominees, and I know that there's cool male nominees out there, too. Oh, I definitely think so. Actually, let me go and go into my handy-dandy Wikipedia, and I'll find some. But, like, I mean, like, Billy Crystal and When Harry Met Sally. Like, that's an interesting one, where yeah. that was a movie that the Oscars just, like... Or Michael Douglas in The American President. You know what I mean? Patrick Swayze in Two Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, is actually a really great example of that. I mean, winner Colin Farrell for In Bruges. At, that's a great one. That's a great one. That's another one where, in retrospect, it's kind of shocking that the Oscars didn't go for it. And because they didn't, it stands out all the more that they'll go. That's where the Globes will. For as much as they get shit for allowing non-comedies to compete as comedies, they're still the only ones who really do kind of properly recognize good comedic, strong comedic performances in their categories from time to time, right? Yes. Even if, like, I don't love The Hangover, they still nominated The Hangover. Oi, that is awful to me. (laughs) But, like, Colin Farrell in The Lobster was a great Mm -hmm. one, semi-recently. Um, a lot of people really liked, honestly, really liked John C. Riley and Stan and Ollie last year, and that's, you know, serio comedy kind of a thing. But we mentioned uh, in our in one of our recent recordings how weird it was that Ray Fiennes never got Oscar attention for the Grand Budapest Hotel. He got nominated by the Globes for that. So or Jack him? Black and Bernie, like that's a great example of that too, right? Where this very year, what's yeah, exactly this very year. Or Jack Black in School of Rock, which is exactly, which actually is goes better with my thing about like mainstream comedies. That like, 
the Oscars just didn't have him on their radar at all because it was a mainstream comedy and it seemed kind of silly and dumb. It's the thing where the Hollywood Foreign Press, the people who vote on the Globes are not snobs in the way that other people or other awards bodies are snobs and that they will never vote for a Jack Black in School of Rock because of what they think that movie is, even if it's a great performance. And sometimes it that that presents as a little bit star fuckery, like Robert De Niro and Meet the Parents and Jim Carrey and How the Grinch Stole Christmas, where it's like, is that really about the performance or is that about that these are big movie stars, right? Johnny Depp's dual nominations, The Year of the Tourist. Right. But like, okay, here's one that I feel like is a bulletproof great Golden Globe nomination. John Cameron Mitchell and Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Absolutely. Like... Should have been the winner. Should have, yeah. Well, and I mean, should have been a winner in in a lot of things. So that's that second category, which will always make me love the Globes. And the third one that I think is most pertinent to salmon fishing in the Yemen are sort of WTF movies that already don't exist by the time the nomination happens, which is it's the salmon fishing in the Yemen nominees, it's Infinitely Polar Bear, which was got a nomination for Mark Ruffalo in 2015, <laughs> which, like, I haven't seen it. I don't even know what it's about. I have not even, like, read... If I ever read a plot description of it, I've forgotten it because that movie does not exist. Maggie Smith and Quartet. This very year. This very year. Well, that's I, that's why I will always think of Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell presenting the nominees for this category, Actress in a Musical or Comedy, because anytime I see the title Quartet, I have to in my head go the court it oh the court it like it's (laughs) so it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in an award show it is our distinct honor (laughs) to be presenting tonight in the category of best performance by an actress in a motion picture comedy or musical and this year the golden globes has asked if each presenter would watch all of the films in their category to have an appreciation of these amazing performances, which I did. I totally watched them. (laughs) Did you? Yes. So it's only five, five films. films. It's only five it's films. Crazy. So you, you, you just watch them. You sit down, you pop them in, you watch Which them. It's not did. a big deal. It's not a big deal. Oh my and, gosh. And these. wow, these performances. Oh my gosh. The uh, these performances. The Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Salmon, Salmon fishing. fishing in the Yemen. Emily Blunt, always Emily beautiful, Bl- beautiful, always amazing. And when the salmon, salmon are coming out, comes out. and they... And, then, and the, when the bad guy when comes, the bad and, guy comes like, and the salmon's like... <laughs> and you and know... And you're in Yemen. And you're in Yemen. They should be nominated for that presentation. It's like five straight minutes of A-plus comedy. It's so good. It's such a great idea, and it's executed so well, and it's so strange. But like, once you see the audience latch on to what they're doing, it's fantastic. They you didn't that even weird... have to do the whole you-get-out-of-here bit. Like The way that they come out all wide-eyed and... Yeah. That alone is funny. Well, and because this particular year, where the nominees... Various... Okay, so 2012... 
Golden Globes were particularly rich with these what the fuck nominees. This in that category, it was Emily Blunt and Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, Maggie Smith and Quartet, Meryl Streep and Hope Springs, which is the movie that I love, but like that is objectively a movie that does not exist. Um, and then in other categories, you had Helen Mirren and Hitchcock. Helen Mirren is kind of the patron saint of the that movie doesn't exist Golden Globe nomination. Yes. Where like remember the Leisure Seeker that I correctly predicted as a nominee in 27 only based on this rule only based on the rule that like helen mirren is absolutely going to get nominated for, for everything doesn't exist. y'all better be prepared for her to be nominated for the good liar at the globes this year oh it's already like written in stone it's gonna happen uh richard gear for arbitrage was a nominee in 2012 uh bill murray for hyde park on hudson a movie we've already talked about on this at oscar buzz so already that year was rich with nominees for movies that you're just like that is a movie but i think that's part of the reason why we love the globes right is that like they'll give us the sweet with the sour with the deeply strange they'll give us pierce brosnan in the matador and killian murphy and breakfast on pluto and scarlett johansson in a love's hug for bobby long or <laughs> his and hers nominations for de lovely do you remember de lovely Delightful, delicious, to lovely, yes. Or they will remember, they'll pull a movie from like several years ago, like they did with Halle Berry and Frankie and Alice. I thought she was nominated and then the movie didn't come out for several years. I think it was the other way around. Really? I don't know. I think. No, you might be right. Either way, that movie's fascinating. I think, no, I do think you're actually right. It came, she got nominated in 2010 and it came out. Because it had like a qualifying release, but then it wasn't actually released for years. Well, either way, that applies to that. I don't know. God bless you, Golden Globes. You're so fucking weird. We love y'all. Okay. Remember Kate Winslet and Jodie Foster both getting nominated for Carnage? Ooh. <laughs> Please don't make us watch that movie. It is the Golden Globes are the Elmo in front of fire chaos gif of award season. <laughs> My and favorite I l- joke. and I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, but I also think that it's SAG is becoming that and we've talked about this a little bit with like Emily Blunt getting nominated for the girl on the train. I feel like they're the ones that it's like, what are you people doing? That is true, but it'll be, like, once. It'll be, like, one weird nomination a year max, where it's, like, you get your Sarah Naomi Silverman. Naomi Watson, St. Vincent. Right. Sarah Silverman, I smile back. And sometimes the Globes will just give you an entire category of it. And it's just, like, okay, <laughs> God, I love you. So, I God think bless. if we're talking about the year of salmon fishing in the Yemen, salmon fishing. I love um, that little folksy spin on it. <laughs> salmon fishing salmon in, fishing the, in Yemen. the Yemen. Um, if we're talking about this year and why this year is particularly bonkers, some of it has to do with, I think this was actually a bad year for the Globes looking at comedy or maybe things that were just promoted as comedy. That Helen Mirren nomination for Hitchcock in drama is shocking to me because like, that would have been a movie that would have been so easily to say, it's a comedy Globes, and they would have gotten more nominations for it. But but this feels like a particularly low, dry well for comedy. And I think that's how Salmon Fishing in the Yemen got through. But there's a few things that I'm kind of shocked aren't there. Well, so let's remind 
uh, our listeners who maybe don't have the Wikipedia page in front of them as I do, the nominees that year in Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy were The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, which I will still stand by. I think that was excellent. Um, Les Miserables, Moonrise Kingdom, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, the movie we were speaking of today, and Silver Linings Playbook, which went on to get both Les Mis and Silver Linings Playbook went on to get Oscar nominations for Best Picture. There was a while there. Do you remember that little piece of of time where Silver Linings Playbook was getting like, oh, it could win, Buzz? Yes. That was weird. I don't know if I ever bought into that, but that was that was people were very people liked that, that movie. Minute. I mean, like that movie, I think made people like leave the movie theater happy in a way yeah. that a lot of the other nominees really didn't, or at and least it, a lot of the series contenders didn't. And it won the People's Choice at TIFF, if I'm not mistaken. And yes, it was it was the Weinstein Company. Yes. Yeah, it was their big play. Yeah, so like there was a lot of stuff where just like oh you know that's going to get maneuvered into you know position to win. Plus that year was a was a very big sort of vacuum at the top year where Argo ends up winning, but Affleck didn't get the director nomination, which ultimately was a very strange Oscar year. It was a function of they changed the timing on the win- on the voting windows, right? That's what mostly did it. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, but like. Affleck doesn't get nominated for director. Catherine Bigelow, who was super like highly touted for best director, doesn't get nominated. Paves the way for Ang Lee to win twice. I am a big Life of Pi fan, so I was fine with that. But yeah, very weird and kind of fun. If it wasn't for stupid Seth MacFarlane hosting that year's Oscars, I would think much, much more highly of that year. Because I think it was a lot of good movies and kind of a lot of chaotic energy over who would win. And I like that. Yes. Anyway, go back into who do you, who you thought. So, Les Mis wins the globe for musical or comedy. Who should what movies should have been nominated in that? Here's one I will at least say. I think this is a movie that we have soured on greatly because we do not. I think we've soured on it because they like shoved it into being a franchise. I th- I'm kind of shocked that Pitch Perfect wasn't in that lineup. It was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. And yeah. it's a musical, too, which like truly does kind of get you a leg up to being a Golden Globe Best Picture nominee. And I mean, Anna like, Kendrick seems like nominated. the kind of actress who would get a Emma Stone-style We Loved You in This Mainstream Comedy nomination. Or, or I even just buy it as being its only nomination was for Best Picture as a musical. Like, it just hit at the right time. It, yeah kind of came out of nowhere and it just made people happy. I'm surprised that it doesn't have salmon fishing in the Yemen spot. But the other movie that really didn't get any traction that Oscar season, I think beyond Indie Spirits, that I'm really surprised is not there in these comedy categories is Magic Mike. Yeah, I don't think the awards community knew what to do with Magic Mike that year, which is strange. And because maybe it's a some of it was movie. they didn't know to interpret it as a comedy. Oh, I think I that's still can't believe true. Matthew McConaughey just really didn't get anywhere for that. Well, that and McConaughey, you wouldn't have even needed to deal with, is it a comedy or is it not? Because he's a supporting right. actor in that movie. And he's, I mean, that was the year where it was all the previous winners got nominated for Oscar. Right. And that like infuriating little shtick that Seth MacFarlane and Emma Stone did during the nomination yeah. read. That still fucking bugs me to this day because once they started the shtick that like, oh, this person has this person has won before, you knew who all the other nominees were gonna be, and I hated it. 
so supporting actor that year, Christoph Waltz ends up winning his second Oscar, this one for Django Unchained, his second Oscar for a Tarantino film. Did we really need to give that him that to him? Probably not. Absolutely not. The other four nominees were also former winners. Alan Arkin was nominated for Argo. Philip Seymour Hoffman was nominated for a lead performance um, in The Master. Nah. Probably would have gotten my vote, actually, even though he was a lead. Um, nah. He's really, really good in that movie. Tommy Lee, no, actually, who gets my vote is Tommy Lee Jones for Lincoln, because I loved they, Tommy Lee Jones Either of them Lincoln. get my vote. I think that that call of him being a lead actor is a little strange to me. But Really? I think on. that's a two-lead movie. I think so. I don't think he's a protagonist of that movie. He's the Hannibal Lecter of that movie. I will stand by that. Mm. Um, and then the fifth was Robert De Niro making the... Oh, he's making an effort again. Come back uh, in Silver Linings. I'm still Labor. a little surprised he didn't win for that. Me too. Or, like that didn't pick up more steam. Me too. I do you think if it's a year where Daniel Day Lewis isn't also winning his third, that Robert De Niro could have gotten like you know he deserves his third Oscar buzz, or does one not have anything to do with the other? I don't think they have anything to do with the other. I think if Jennifer Lawrence had ultimately had more competition. In Best Actress, which, like, sure, she had Emmanuel Riva and Jessica Chastain right there, but, like, it felt like she had smooth sailing to that win yeah. once the nomination actually happened. I think that's probably true. I think they could, that campaign would have pivoted to make it more about Robert De Niro to that's get possible. the one win for that movie that everybody loved. So the only real insurgent in that field that year who hadn't won was Leonardo DiCaprio also for Django Unchained. And my belief was if DiCaprio had gotten into the Oscar field ahead of any one of those other guys, I think he wins that year because all of a sudden then the Leo narrative kicks in and he's the only non-winner in a category of winners. I think that sets him apart. I think Christoph Waltz ends up winning somewhat by default. I'm sure the vote, I mean, we can't ever know, but I'm sure the vote totals in that category were very spread out. I think it's probably also ultimately, with the exception of Argo, because it won Best Picture, but like Alan Arkin is not. I would believe that Alan Arkin was maybe in fifth place. Alan Arkin got voting. nominated for one line of dialogue. He got nominated right. for saying, Argo, fuck yourself. And yeah. that's, I mean, good for him. Honestly. He's never going to win for that performance. Right. And I think that's like, that's the caveat of what I'm about to say. I think Christoph Waltz partly won. A, he gets that huge monologue towards the end, and that, he is a lead in that movie. Yes, he is. But I think that was probably the movie that the Oscar voters liked the most. That screenplay win to me always is strange to me, but tells me how much people actually liked that movie that were voting for it. Because remember, even Lincoln, there was this whole thing of like people thought it was boring. Like nobody was really excited by that movie, even though it got a ton of nominations. But that is a very best picture heavy field, right? Where Django, Argo, Silver Linings Playbook, Lincoln, are all Best Picture nominees. And the other nomination in that category, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master, The Master ends up getting three acting nominations and probably came uh, decently close to that top ten, would you say? Yeah, yeah. So who, who would, like, so in terms of McConaughey cracking that field... It, on one level, it does seem his performance certainly is leagues both beyond better and I think um, more memorable than Arkin. Than 
I think it's Matthew Waltz. McConaughey's best performance. Oh, it's in terms of his career? Absolutely. And if McConaughey ends up... I think the problem was the McConaissance needed another year in the oven in yeah. terms of, you know, getting people really behind it. I think if... Dallas Buyers Club happens in 2012 and Magic Mike happens in 2013. He wins for Magic Mike. I think whatever that that movie to hit once the McConaissance had been like a thing for a full year, I think that was going to happen. And ultimately, Magic Mike ends up being the, you know, feeder for for Dallas Buyers Club. And that's unfortunate because not only because Dallas Buyers Club is, is not, you know a movie a lot of us really love, but, like, what's the more memorable performance? What's the one that's going to last longest? It's Magic Mike. Right. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird that that movie got nothing. But I just think, in terms of Globe's comedy, that is one that could have easily shown up, though. It's like, it's. I think mm -hmm. it's a... Like, I wonder how much... Soderbergh movies these days are actually campaigned. Remember how at last minute Warner Brothers started pushing Contagion that year because they had nothing? I feel like Soderbergh doesn't really want to play the game, which makes me really curious about the laundromat this year. Yeah, I don't don't think I I think that's part of the story of Magic Mike not showing up. I also think the fact that the laundromat is a Netflix movie that is already behind in the queue uh, behind the Irishman and Marriage Story, I don't think we're going to hear about Laundromat on the awards campaign. Well, that's what they said about Buster Scruggs. Yes, but the Coens do play the game. They no, want they you to not. think that they don't. What's up? They do not campaign. Well, they don't, but the I think they're do. just loved that much. Their movies always show up way better than Soderbergh movies do. Right, because even Hail Caesar got that nomination with literally no campaign. Yeah. Can you think of any other 2012 movies that you would say are surprising that didn't show up or could have shown up if they had been more adventurous? 2012 is a really good year, so I don't think we were we had any shortage of possible nominees. I think you could have gone in a few different directions. If you want to go very mainstream, I think 21 Jump Street was so good. And if you're talking about years where Jonah Hill is going to get nominated for War Dogs or, as I mentioned before, The Hangover is going to get nominated. either Why not the good one of that brand of movie? Exactly. Either nominate the movie itself or Channing Tatum is so good in that movie. Like, he's just... People really underrate that movie. They jump to Magic Mike or whatever when they talk about, like, Channing Tatum's... Career had blow two up. Channing Tatum comedy nominations that year. And truly, they would have been very well-deserved. I think if you want to go... And I think also, um, in terms of movies that like played wide and made money, I think The Cabin in the Woods is also a very interesting movie, although not, a, not the kind of movie the Globes ever really go for, which is genre comedy. Um, right. But if you want to go indie, which is a route that they have gone before, there's uh, Your Sister's Sister, which was one of... My favorite movies that year uh, uh, easily could have been a nomination for if you wanted to nominate Emily Blunt for something. It would have been a better Emily Blunt. Would have been a better Emily Blunt nomination. Also, Rosemary DeWitt is so good in that. Also, that movie is so good. And the big one, if you talk about best picture and best actress, it's wild to me that there was nothing campaigned for Bachelorette and Kirsten Dunst in Bachelorette. One of the best performances. Distributor though, wasn't that a really small distributor? 
I'm sure there was a good reason for it, but just in terms of how good the movie was and how good the performance was, like there are not five performances in any category that year better than what Kirsten Dunst does in Bachelorette, in my opinion. Yes. That's probably what I, that's, that's, I think that's what I have. They had a, like they had a good foot in the doorway for things like Moonrise Kingdom, although they didn't get any acting nominations, or they got a nom for Bernie, and that was good. Um, but I mean, if they want to go light drama, Perks of Being a Wallflower was right there. I know that's not a comedy at all, and that's not even that light of a drama when compared to like Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. But Logan Lerman is so good in that movie. He's, Logan Lerman should have all of more those kids. People like really like are enjoying shitting on Emma Watson now, and like. Probably deservedly so, but like she was great in the Bling Ring, and honestly, I thought she was great in Perks. Bling Ring is an incredible performance. That's yeah, like, yeah, that's people ha- are mean. Yeah, and also, what's his name? Ezra, sweet, strange Ezra Miller in Perks of Being a Wallflower. So good. Anyway, so yeah, I think when we talk about why Salmon Fishing in the Yemen failed on its Oscar buzz, I think that answer is just as ephemeral as why it got Oscar buzz. The Oscar buzz arrived on Golden Globe nomination, and it died somewhere between that day and the actual Golden Globes once we all realized that, like, this was a blip that was not going to be repeated elsewhere. And they were absolutely the fifth slot in each of its categories. I think anybody who saw that nomination happen and went and watched the movie were like, oh, yeah, this is not going to get anything. There's nothing really to latch on to. The buzz started way too late. They weren't going to begin a campaign on Golden Globes Day. So it was it was old news. It was, And even like the Lassa Hallstrom thing wasn't really, wasn't really enough to latch on to. It's just like, oh, yeah, another Lassa Hallstrom feel-good, sort of like heartstringsy movie that was a little weird, but, you know, not, like, deeply strange or anything. And I think that era that we're afraid of, of the Lassa Hallstrom movie, like, latching on in Oscar, I think that era has passed. I think so, too. I don't know if Oscar is nominating those kind of movies, even yeah. if they're campaigned really hard. I agree. I have a very brief... I want to talk a little bit more about Ewan McGregor than we ended up talking about, but, like, I have a very brief Ewan McGregor game if you would like to indulge me. We could talk a little bit about Ewan McGregor before we actually get into the game, though, because we've had the Emily Blunt conversation. Ewan McGregor, I think, is interesting in terms of, like, not happening ever. Ewan McGregor is sort of a Meg Ryan type, right? Where, like... I kind of don't understand how he's never been nominated because the projects that he's been in have been right there. A lot yes. of them. You know what I mean? He's been in a lot of both buzzy movies that like something like The Ghostwriter, which like doesn't get nominations, but is the kind of a movie that you think could have gotten nominations. There's no reason why it wouldn't have. He's been in Best Picture nominees like Moulin Rouge. He's been in... I mean, like, Train Spotting wasn't going to get acting nominations, but, like, it was on Oscar's radar enough. Didn't it get a screenplay nomination? I believe it did. But he never ends up being the story of the thing that he I is in that either thing. gets nominated or is close to nominated. Like, even Moulin Rouge being probably the key example that of this. That was Nicole's I don't think movie. It was Nicole's movie and it was Baz Luhrmann's movie, but I don't think anybody ever expected him to actually land the Oscar nomination for that. Well, not. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think once it got down to the the weeks and months leading up to the nominations, yes. But I think if you saw ahead of time that like, oh, 
Moulin Rouge is going to be an Oscar contender. Your two leads are Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. And I remember Lerman like talked up McGregor even more than he talked up Kidman that year, talking about right. how great he was at the songs and the performances. And I think you're right that you're certainly right that Nicole Kidman's, you know, star over you know, overmatched everything in that. But a similar thing happened with Beginners, right? Where, like, he's mm-hmm. the lead in Beginners, and he's not the story in Beginners. The story is Christopher Plummer, and that becomes the only story. Um, Big Fish was yeah, probably Yeah, about to bring his, up Big Fish. Yeah, certainly poised for success, and that was one that sort of cratered. But you could see if Big Fish did end up getting the you know making good on its best picture buzz that might have been the one for mcgregor because he's very oh i don't know maybe that just becomes a supporting actor thing for finney and for um maybe mostly for finney but maybe jessica lang as well yeah if you would throw a nomination at him where would you throw it so my thing with you and mcgregor is that i often don't like him even when everybody else does i find him insincere in a way I can't get past in a lot of things. Um, I, I think it works. Agree with that. I think it works in Moulin Rouge because everything is heightened. I don't think it works in a movie like Beginners. I don't think it works in a movie like I Love You, Philip Morris. Um, I don't think it works in a movie like what's another movie? Uh, August Osage County. I think he's like one of the worst performances in August Osage County, which is a it movie does really work for. in a movie like Down With Love. Yes, I think that's a great example. Yes, if I'm going to give him one nomination, it very well might be Down With Love. He's great in that. He's great. At, everything He's about that movie is great, yeah. but I, I, that's not the nomination I would throw at him, and I think maybe that's partly why it hasn't happened for him, is like that's exactly what he is perfect for, and like those movies aren't being made with like those type of, no. you know screwball-y, but he also doesn't like get cast in them when they are happening. Like, Why is he not in Knives Out? Um, yeah, it's a good point. He'd be great in a nomination. Like that. I would throw at him it would be Velvet Goldmine. Oh, he's wonderful in that. You're right. I think the 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 more uh, artifice you have in a movie, the better he's going to fit into it. Yes. Yeah, he's fantastic in that. You're right. I think he. I Essentially do actually playing Iggy Pop. Right, playing Iggy Pop, doing it so well. His charisma just jumps off of the screen. He's very much not a Ewan McGregor type. I don't think like the Ewan McGregor type had even like solidified by that point. It was only a few years, only I think what two years after Train Spotting at that point, he had still right barely made it out of England or ba- barely made it out of the UK. At that point, he had done Emma and um, and a few other British movies. I think A Life Less Ordinary is the only movie he makes in between Train Spotting and Velvet Goldmine that's set in the United States, even. Well, and it's still with Danny Boyle. Right, exactly. Yeah, before that relationship. What was the one? It was The Beach, right? It was The Beach, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting little footnote, that it was supposed to be Ewan McGregor in The Beach, and then that fell apart, and Boyle... The the whole story of that movie, The Beach, I wrote about that several years ago when I was still at The Atlantic. That's a really deeply interesting movie in a a lot of ways, in, in what it says, what it meant for Danny Boyle's career, what it meant for DiCaprio's career, and... It's it, it essentially was the movie that broke the spell of Titanic Leo and mm-hmm. ends up being the catalyst for the Leo that we end up having today in ways both good and bad. I think the beach kind of scarred him 
in a lot of ways in terms of taking chances. I think after that movie, you find a very much more conservative DiCaprio, even after he's going for these sort of big flashy projects, they're always with very, very established directors. And there was sort of, there's an article recently um, about that very subject that I think a lot of people got sort of huffy about, about DiCaprio and about um, his It was sort before of, the Tarantino movie opened. Right. And I was just like, oh, wow, yeah, I wrote about this exact thing um, several, several years ago. So Beach is very interesting. That's a movie we could do for this at Oscar Buzz. I don't think it got any kind of tech nominations, right? It was a more like bomb. early predictions and like pre-production and such. Right, right. Anyway, so my thing with uh, Ewan McGregor is always a bridesmaid, never a bride, right? So no Oscar nominations. He has gotten a smattering of nominations in other other awards of various vintage, right? So yes. I'm going to give you the lineup of all of the various other major awards and nominations that Ewan McGregor has gotten in a game I have called... You win some, you lose some. How dare you? <laughs> uh, and I will see how good you do. We don't have to be very, very strict about this, but uh, All right. I'll help you out with hints. Remember, a lot. some of these movies will come up more than once. All right, so going down the list, Ewan McGregor, a three-time Golden Globe nominee, one of them for television. He actually won for the television nomination. Fargo. Fargo, right. And what are the two movies that he's been nominated for? Uh, Mulan Rouge and Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Well done. All right. He has gotten three nominations from the BAFTA Awards for Scotland. Just two Scotland. Of, two of them winners. Yes, it says BAFTA Awards, comma, Scotland. Um, okay. Um, the thing about it being BAFTA Scotland tells me that it is probably only British films. I think it's only Scottish films, honestly. Is one of them the NC-17 movie that he has sex with Tilda Swinton a bunch? Yes. He won Whatever for it's called. Young Adam. Oh, he won for it. Yeah. Wins Best Actor in a Scottish Film for Young Adam, the Sally Potter movie, Young Adam. So what are his other two nominations for BAFTA Scotland, do you think? If we're thinking that they're Scottish films, I will just jump into Train Spotting. Uh-huh. One's for that as well. Uh, okay, so... The other one is exactly 20 years later. Oh. See, I was I was going to guess that it would be an older movie that... I forget when uh, Train Spotting came out. Was it maybe The Ghost Rider? No. Ghost Rider was before that. Um, okay. 20 the years... The Impossible... No. 20 years after train spotting came, if I was doing password, I'd give you this the leading lilt in my voice at the end. Train spotting. Is it train spotting too? It is train spotting too. Train spotting too. Talk about something that doesn't exist. Yeah. Train spotting too with the various, the very curious decision to go by the moniker T2 as if we didn't have an incredibly successful movie called T2, but thank you. Was that supposed to be ironic, though? Like, I don't know. I didn't see it. The thing was, when Trainspotting 2 came out, I was like, this is absolutely an elaborate prank. This movie doesn't exist. Yeah. You will show up to a theater having purchased a ticket, and then like when the movie starts, it's just a clown face on the screen going, ha ha, <laughs> like they tricked you into the theater. Very true. All right. 
Ewan McGregor won Gotham Award. He ends up winning one oh. Gotham Award. Give it and a guess. It wasn't and... like a tribute. No, you give it one guess, and then I'll give you what category he won. I'll do that for everything. Guess once, and if you're wrong, I'll give you what category. He won. I actually love the Gotham's. Um, is it Beginners? It is best ensemble performance. Yeah, that for seems beginners. like a very Gotham's-y movie. Yeah, well done. All right, so three London Critics Circle nominations. Okay, which one are of which typically... he's a winner. Two of which he's a winner. Sorry. Typically, those are British movies. Yes. Typically. Um. Train spotting. Yes. So he wins 1997's British Actor of the Year for, or 1996's British Actor of the Year for four movies. It's Train Spotting, Brassed Off, Emma, and The Pillow Book. So he's one of those. Okay. We loved you in all of these things. We it was he was the Jessica Chastain of the UK of 1996. Um, he's the motherfucker who found this place. Um, uh, the Ghostwriter. No, surprisingly okay. not. Okay. I Our, mean. So they're both for British Actor of the Year. One is 2001, one is 2003. You've mentioned both of them already in this game. Moulin Rouge. Yes. And 2003 is, um, well, that's the Down With Love year, so Down With Love. It's not. Mm-hmm. It, is it Big Fish? No, you've mentioned it in this game before. Oh, okay. Is it the the whatever it's called that he has sex with Tilda Swinton? Yes. By the end of this game, you're going to remember okay. the title of Young Adam. I promise you. Oh, Young Adam. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I think we were talking at the same time last time you said it. Oh, sorry. Young yes. Adam. Young Adam. All right. MTV... Young Adam, comma, or the movie where Ewan McGregor has sex with Tilda Swinton. And they both show their below-the-waist parts. Okay. Oh, uh, MTV Movie Awards. He's been nominated a total of seven times for the MTV oh. Movie Awards. Uh for five films. So, what are the five Moulin films? Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. Would you care to hazard a guess of what two categories he was nominated for in Moulin Rouge? Best Kiss yes. and Best... Probably not Best Actor. Best Musical Sequence. Very good. Winner for Best Musical Sequence with Nicole okay. Kidman. And nominated for Best Kiss with Nicole Kidman. Very good. How many stars War was he nominated for? Two. I'm going to say it's Revenge of the Sith and Phantom Menace. Yeah. Two nominations for Revenge for of the Sith. For Fight and for what's the other one, do you think, for Sith? Um, Hero? Yes. Wow. Okay. And then what's the one nomination for Phantom Menace? Definitely Fight. Yes. For him and... For the finale fight. Yeah, for him and Liam Neeson going up against Ray Park as uh, as Darth Maul. Damn, you are killing this. All right. Is so... that all of them? No, two more. Oh, okay. Oh. Hmm. <sighs> For movies that I haven't mentioned. One of them is a movie you haven't mentioned in this game. One oh. of them is one you have mentioned in this game. One of the categories are Breakthrough Performance and Best Dance Sequence. Breakthrough Performance has to be um, Train Spotting. Yep, 1997. Is Dance Sequence Down With Love? No, nothing for Down With Love. Down With Love does not show up in this game. I'm sorry. I know, I'm the only one keeping its life alive. <laughs> um, that's not how you frame a sentence. <laughs> um, wait, I remember this because I remember the reel of the nominees because I used to, in the 90s, like live for the MTV Movie Same Awards. here, I know exactly. It is yeah. a life less ordinary. Yes, with Cameron Diaz. Very good. All right, and finally... A movie I haven't seen, but I know that there is a dance sequence because of the MTV Movie Awards. Supposed to not be very good, and yet um, I would like to see it again because it's been ages since i did 
Uh, finally, three Screen Actors Guild nominations over the years. Cast for August Osage County. Very good. Cast for Black Hawk Down? No. Okay. Are they all ensemble? Yes, they I are. I would buy that. They okay. are. Um, You're very good at this game. Uh, Big Fish? No. Huh. What other ensemble? Uh, wait, are any of them TV? Is one of them Fargo? No, they're both they're both movies. What do we just tend- when you say I do well at this game? One do we? What do we tend to know about the best ensemble nominees? What do they tend to go on and do? Huge casts. No, but also, but after the SAGs, where do they end up going? Usually, like on a four out of five clip. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what you're saying to me. Oh. Four out of five SAG ensemble nominees also end up as what kind of nominees? Best Picture nominees? Right. So what do you think? These are are both Best Picture nominees. No, but one of them is. Is it Moulin Rouge? Yes. All right. So the one that's remaining is really tough. It's from 1998. It's from the era when a movie like The Full Monty would get a nomination for SAG ensemble. 98's Velvet Goldmine. It can't be Velvet Goldmine. Nope. Think more more, more along the lines of, of the tone of the full Monty. What's your... Is it also a British... Well, it's what's your pleasant, It's gotta be a British movie. What's your pleasant British, maybe only played to, you know, very select awards voting audiences? I am not it, sure. I only I... know of this movie because it got, oh. like, Golden Globe nominations. Is oh actually no it did get an Oscar nomination but in supporting, but it's one of the weirdest supporting nominations where you look at that and just like huh her for that movie that I never saw. It, I have no I feel like this is going to be earlier, but is it Little Voice? It's Little Voice, yeah, yeah that was a thing. Oscar nominee for it's Brenda, Brenda Blethyn. Yep. After her Secrets and Lies nomination. Do you remember though, Michael Caine? Michael Caine won the Golden Globe for that, for actor right. and comedy. The year and before. Jane Horrocks was, did she win or was she just She was nominated? just nominated. Jane Horrocks. Oh, God, she's so great. Because she would have been nominated against Gwyneth Paltrow for Shakespeare in Love. So she would have won. I, oh, see, I, I haven't seen that movie, but I should because I love Jane Horrocks as Bubble on AbFab sure, so of course. much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I should see that movie. You should. So anything else we want to say about Salmon Fishing in the Yemen before we move on? By the way, congratulations. You did very good in that, very well in that, uh, you well, and McGregor I mean, game. I, I, I was a former Moulin Rouge obsessive, and that means I obsessed about every person and aspect about that movie. So I so, know some stuff about you and McGregor. So I guess we can say you win some rather than you oh, lose some. Oh, I hate you so much. Uh, you could say that I really uh, sunk my hook into that game. <laughs> I, I really reeled in the right you answers. Really, really, truly, uh, you got uh, hip deep in the water and you fished out some right answers. Yep. All right. I saw damn, the wrong answers damn, did and you I had do to well. protect them and I had to hook them in uh, uh, by the face. Did you see? Did you hear? I said damn. Ah, uh, Damn. Damn. All right. There's a damn in this movie. All right. What else? Anything else, Simon Beaufoy? Isn't it funny you look at the movies that Simon Beaufoy has uh, written? 
what a weird little like he wrote the full Monty, which was like the big sort of breakthrough for him. And then he wins the Oscar for writing Slumdog Millionaire. And then right. around all of that, he's the credited screenwriter for um what you call it? The Battle of the Sexes, which was great, I thought. Um, this movie, Sam Fishing in the Yemen. Everest, he's one of the two credited screenwriters on Everest. Hunger Games Catching Fire, which, like, I'm sure had a bajillion screenwriters, and, like, everybody took a, you know, took a turn trying to get that one. Although, actually, Catching Fire is my favorite of all the Hunger yeah, Games movies. Yeah, it's the best one. It is the best one. Um, I don't know. It's just a very interesting Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. Do we remember Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day? Yeah, I love Amy Adams in that movie. I thought that was kind of a cute movie. And so he's got. Fran's co- really funny, too. Yeah, it's the rare sort of like, you know, purely silly Fran performance. Although she was put, putting in a few around that era because that was the era where she did um, Burn After Reading. I mean, you can't tell me her Hail Caesar performance isn't just purely silly. Right. But I mean, I think those are like, those are, you know, harder to come by with her. Anyway, do we want to play an IMDb game? I would love to play an IMDb game. Let's do it. All right. Do you want to guess first or give first? Well, why don't we run down the rules of what That is also a fair thing we should do. All right. So every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we will mention that up front. Uh, But after two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Because we are friends and we like to be fair. Indeed it does. This is a friendly game of IMDb. So yeah, I will give first. I think that's fun. I went the Simon Beaufoy wrote actually when I looked for... First of all, I tried to comb the Hunger Games Catching Fire cast for an interesting IMDb game. Here's the truth of that matter. Hunger Games are even worse than the Harry Potter movies in terms of swallowing up their actors' IMDb listings whole. Like, every single person from that cast that I clicked on had two Hunger Games movies in their known fours, and that was a bummer. So instead, I think the only people who have been exempt from that are Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think that's probably true. I think you really have to have a real... You have to have a hefty... Paul Thomas Anderson fed uh, filmography in order to escape that, uh, to break that escape velocity, I will say. So instead, I went to the also very deep and satisfying cast of Battle of the Sexes. That is a movie that really, it casts, it casts some very interesting actors, one of whom is a former Oscar nominee from 1995, Elizabeth Shue. Oh. <gasps> Elizabeth Shue. What's the known Wait. for? The, Elizabeth Shue is an interesting actress because she was, you know, flash in the pan early and then went away and then had the Oscar nomination come back and then now recently has sort of gone away again. But she's been in a lot of movies. What are her four that show I up? I guess I forgot that she was in that movie at all. Um, she leaving plays Carell's wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think. No, I'm pretty sure one of the ex. Isn't there also an ex-wife in that movie? Maybe that's who. I thought it was. I thought it was uh, his current wife in that movie. Yeah, Priscilla Riggs, Bobby Riggs's wife. Wife, her wife. His wife. Wife. Um, I 
think Adventures in Babysitting. That is correct. 1987, Adventures in Babysitting. One of the defining films of my childhood. I loved Adventures in Babysitting. Um, uh, Back to the Future 2. Nope. Incorrect. No, uh, Strike one. Mm, I'm not going to jump to Back to the Future 3 yet. Um, so Leaving Las Vegas. Correct. That's two. Adventures in Babysitting. Yep. Um, Hollow Man. Yes, I can't believe. Yes. Uh, oh, I can believe. No, I can't believe I you can got believe. it. It's oh, really okay. I just really want to guess this movie because she plays literally herself. I want to say Hamlet 2. Oh, no. No Hamlet 2. So now I you knew get... it wouldn't be there, but I just had to throw that out there. Rock me, rock me, sexy Jesus. <laughs> All right. That movie's bad, but the song's Okay, I wanted you to say it before I brought it up, but yeah, that movie is bad. I can't believe um, it was such a Sundance success. Remember all the fucking buzz okay, we got? Okay, maybe only Rock Me Sexy Jesus is the funny song in that movie. Yeah. But, like, that movie is also maybe why I hate Steve Coogan. Um, That's understandable. I had to see a lot of other Steve Coogan things before I liked Steve Coogan, so. Yeah. All right, your remaining film, only one remaining film, and it's from 1997. Is it The Saint? Yes! Shit! Yeah. I should have just guessed The Saint. Is it The Saint Didn't on we... Val Kilmer's as well? Yes. That's so wild. Because Why? I think I remember being like, yeah, The Saint was a huge hit, blah, blah, blah. And you looked it up and it was like $30 million. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah, not a huge hit from April of 1997. Do you know who who directed The Saint? Uh, isn't it Philip Noyce? Philip Noyce. All right. Noyce. Nice, nice, nice job on that, Chris, truly. Thank you. All right. I was a shoe in to get it all right. <laughs> we are our both, puns are we are out both of going to prison. You know who? What I did? I did the same thing as you for your IMDb game challenge. I also went the Simon Beaufoy route. Ooh. I went with the uh, I went the full Monty route with its headliner uh, Robert Carlyle. Oh, I thought you were going to say Tom Wilkinson. All right, ooh no. Carlyle. We've done Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, I think that's true. All right. Fuck. All right, is the Fulmonti one of Carlisle's? Yes. All right. Um. Shit, he's in one of the Guy Ritchies. Wait, he's in Train Spotting. Yes, Train Spotting. The other reason that I chose yeah. Robert Carlyle, as we have mentioned it several times this episode. I want it to be this, so I'm going to guess it, but I, I kind of think it's not going to be. Uh, is it Ravenous? Ravenous! Okay, yes! so Ravenous I was a... I love that movie. It's a, it was a massive bomb at the time, yeah, it but was. it has like a cult now. It should, I really yeah. want to see Ravenous, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you've never seen it? Oh my god. No. I might try and find a way to bring that to Toronto, and if we have any downtime, we'll watch Ravenous. Okay. That would be fun. fully down. Fully down. Love okay, so you have one more... And did you guess something wrong? No, no, you haven't. You you have no wrong guesses. Yeah, but I, I am really I'm, proud I'm of you. out of good guesses for Robert okay. Carlyle. So um, I'm trying to even think. He is in a Guy Ritchie movie. I'm almost positive, but I can't think of what it is. Um, it's probably like Rock and Rolla. Yeah, considering right? I think Rock and Rolla was like the answer I couldn't get on one of these, and I fully wanted to punch you in the face. And it's not TV, right? It is not television. Okay. Hmm. 
Okay. Because, right, because he was on Once Upon a Time. That's the TV show I was thinking of. All right. At least now that I have that out of my head, I don't have to think about that anymore. Um. Oh, wait. He's the bad guy in a Bond movie. Uh-huh. Shit. All right. So, when would The World Is Not Enough have been? Would that have been an- enough time after... Train would it spotting. have been enough time <laughs> or not enough Or no, time. I mean, uh, uh, what was the first one? The first Brosnan one was Goldeneye. But that, I think, is before. That was like 95? They cranked out Brosnan bonds. I think it was 97, 98, and really? 99. Wow. Yep. But I, I think Goldeneye is maybe too soon for Carlisle. I don't know why my head is saying the world is not enough, so I'm going to guess the world is not I, enough. Because I love Goldeneye, I have to immediately jump out and correct you that Sean Bean is the villain That's, of Goldeneye. You're right. You're right. And Fomka Johnson, Justice for Fomka yeah, Johnson. Yeah, that I remember, for sure. What did you just guess, though? I, I guessed uh, the world is not enough. Joe, I'm so proud of you. You have a perfect score. On Robert Carlyle, of all people. On Robert Carlyle. Yes. Congratulations. The World is Not Enough, authentically the worst Bond film of my lifetime. Except my favorite Bond theme song of my lifetime. Uh, bleh, bleh. Yeah. Yeah. Skyfall is good, but Garbage's version of The World is Not Enough is the best Bond theme song of my lifetime. Oh, if you want some, like, good trash Bond song, I love Cheryl Crow's Tomorrow. Oh, that is a good trash Bond song. I'm saying The World Is Not Enough is a legit great song. Ooh, girl, have you... uh, I just got real gay. Have you ever seen a drag queen do Tina Turner's Goldeneye? No, but that would be kind of a Oh, I have. And I died. It's all got to be in the face, right? Because it's just, like, her pronunciations in that song are wild. Goldeneye is a really underrated Bond song. You're right. Okay, so I think we actually got blessed with some good Bond songs in our era, right? It's Goldeneye, World Is Not Enough, Skyfall, I Will Not Count Die Another Day. Um, I will never mention the writings on the wall ever in my life. No, of course not. Why would we? And then, yeah, throw in Tomorrow Never Dies as, like, trashy, campy, whatever. The Brosnan era was really, really good for songs. I know. Was there even a Quantum of Solace song? Yes, it was Alicia Keys and Jack White, and it was terrible. Oh, right. I was expecting some, like, Michael Buble Quantum. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Something about Quantum of Solace. What a terrible title. Sometimes the Bond movies are just like, yeah, we don't care. We know you'll come watch it anyway. We're going to call our movie, like, bum farts of whatever, whatever. It's just like, it doesn't matter. You'll, You'll see it. Plus, uh, World the, is Not is Enough also... One, like Chris Cornell or something that nobody cares about? I think that's right. I think I remember yeah. that. May he rest. Um, World is Not Enough also had Denise Richards as Dr. Christmas Jones, so how dare you with this worst <laughs> Brosnan Bond movie? God, it's so bad. Who else is in that movie? Oh, Sophie Marceau. I was trying to think of like who's the... like. Rando European hottie. That's who it was. Was Isabella Johnny a Johnny ever a Bond girl? That seems right. Did you know she's the mother of Daniel Day Lewis's hot son? Yes. It looks it when you look at him. When you look at a photo of the son, you're just like, yeah, that tracks. You know sure. who else has a hot son? Isabella Pear. That I believe. Yeah. 
they should star in a chilly goddamn romance. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis' son chilly. is a rapper, right? That's his, his whole thing? No, Tom Hanks' son is a racist rapper. Well, that I knew. I thought it was also uh, Daniel Day-Lewis' son, but I could be wrong. Anyway... <laughs> we don't want to go long, so why don't we just let this one lie? This is a really good episode, Chris. I'm glad. I think we talked enough about salmon fishing in the Yemen without giving it too much of our mental energy. The story of salmon fishing in the Yemen was that it was a punchline. Um, I think that's true. I, I'm sure we will get plenty of new ones from our listeners who would like to tweet at us at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz after they also follow us. That is true. Why don't I uh, give that whole shapeel? Uh, as I do. That is our episode. If you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. That is what I say, because I am a robot pro- a robot? <laughs> the fuck is wrong with me? I am a, a robot, robot programmed to say words. Um, Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can also find me on Twitter at ChrisVFile, that's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name, and I also write regularly for The Film Experience. Yeah, you do. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D there as well. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with visibility on Apple Podcasts, so quit DMing the Prime Minister already and get on that, please. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz and fishing and salmon. (laughs) I need to see that dragon. What does that say? Mariel. Mariel Street. Mariel Street. Hope, Hope Springs, Springs, and oh she's the sassy sheriff. Sheriff of Hope Springs, and oh, oh Southern, that accent, and, and that and old, oh, and that town. The of, town. She comes in she on the horse, and, on and the that horse, scene, and the scene, scene. And she, where she looks at the town people. You, you get out of here, you are. You get out of here. And,